0: Welcome to the Connect Church podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. My favorite subject in school was history. And before some of you go, I'm out. Hear me out. I had my reasons for it. History always made more sense to me than than most things did, um, and, and as i 've gotten older i 've come to appreciate it a lot more because it 's so much more than just dates and events that happen. but when we begin to when we begin to look at history, we begin to see um, why people made the choices that they made, or maybe we don 't We get to see how choices Change the whole entire idea of global history. Like the choice of one person can have that type of effect, and we can see that that even in in modern history, we can see where God has been in so many of those situations where one change in in a person or one change in their personality or their tendencies could have caused incredible damage or caused incredible, uh, again, world shifting propositions. I love history for that reason. I love figures of history and studying them. Um, I had a professor who told us one, or told us one time, he said, you know, people often say that history repeats itself. That's not true. History is just, history is just a series of events. It is just what happens. And he said, history doesn't repeat itself. People make the same mistakes. Ultimately, we are the ones who determine history. Our actions is what determines history. And maybe, you know, if you want to get more specific to you, it's your family history. Maybe you've done your your ancestry and you've looked through that. And um, I, I have. I was fortunate fortunate to have uh, my great-grandmother passed away when she was 96. And she, like, knew everything about all the family and would tell these stories. And i, I feel feeling fortunate because I was really young. I didn't get to learn a lot of that from her. And... As I got older and began to appreciate it more, my great aunt kind of took that of knowing if you want to know anything about the history of our family, you just go ask Aunt Faye and she'll tell you. Um, and there are decisions that I make in my life and things in my life that I don't do because of my family history. Likewise, there are things in my life that I, that I do and things that I value because of my family history. And oftentimes when we read scripture, when we read the Bible, we read it as a series of tales of morality of, well, this is a thing that we shouldn't do, or this is a thing that we should do. Or, we, we don't look at them as real people. We don't look at them as people in the moment who didn't have all of the information that we have now today. We look at them as, oh, well, this is it's kind of a morality. We look at them kind of like a parable, like Jesus would tell a parable. And it wasn't about someone specific, but it was to teach a lesson. Well, we read scripture in order like a parable to read a lesson, but we don't look at it as our essentially our family history, our spiritual family history, the people who were the predecessors to where we are today. And we don't read it in such a way to go, man, where did they make mistakes? What choices did they make that were wrong? What things did they do that messed up? How did they, even sometimes when they may have had good intentions, but these bad things happened, you know, where could they have been more informed? We read it as, again, well, this is something to do and something not to do. Rather than what was their mindset? What was their, their heart feeling in that moment? Uh, and we're, we're going to read in, um, we're going to be in Haggai. I know that's not something you hear very often, uh, but, but hear me out. It's, it's a phenomenal book. I was reading in my personal reading through Ezra, and uh, Haggai is right in the middle of it. This little book of this little moment that we see where everything changes because of what the Lord tells them. So just to kind of catch you up, hear me out. If you're like, Blake, I don't love history, you you just got to know, okay? You just got to know. So at this point, Israel has been taken over by Babylon. And when Babylon took them over, they said, you know what? We're going to ship you all over the place, kind of a divide and conquer type deal. So we're going to go in several different places. And they shipped a lot of them back to Babylon. We read about, you know, Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Like we read about those exiles there and they shipped them out. Well, as is with empires, um, the, uh, the Persians come in and take over the Babylonians. And the Persians had this super interesting way of doing it. See, the Babylonians were like, we're going to come in, we're going you know, to kill a bunch of people, we're going to put spread people all over the place, and we're just going to, where well, you can't really get a good foothold. The Persians were different. They said, hey, hear me out, listen. So here's the thing. We want to come in, and we want to be your rulers. Okay, don't freak out. Here's what we'll do for you. We'll, we'll do you a favor. So we're going to be your rulers, We're going to let you practice your religion. We're going to let you stay where you're at. We're going to let you keep your religious buildings. We're going to let you do all those things. Listen, just pay us a little bit. If people ask who your king is, say Cyrus, our king. Like, say that and we'll leave you alone. Now, if you've seen or heard in your family history about the Babylonians and all these, all these just crazy, crazy empires. And a guy comes up and says, listen, we don't really want to mess with your life too much, but just pay us a little bit. We call you up for military service. You, you got to come. But other than that, do, do you. Do you, baby. You got this. Sounds pretty good, right? And Israel already is in captivity at this point. So when the Persians come in, when Cyrus comes in, he immediately says, oh man, these people are in captivity here. You know what? Let's send them back to their homeland. Let's let them rebuild the temple. You see, because they had been in Babylon and for a little while the exiles while they were there, some of the exiles while they were there, they still had this hope because the temple was still there and then the Babylonians destroyed it. They wanted to crush the spirit of them. So even this this thing of, well, man, I still had hope because that was there is is now gone And, and, and Cyrus comes and says, hey, listen, go back home, rebuild your temple. Also, all the stuff that they stole out of your temple, here you go, take it with you. Go back and build it. What's, you know, you're almost like, okay, where's the catch, you know, but they genuinely had this opportunity to go back, and So this is two generations later. This is 70 years after they were originally shipped out. And they go back, and they begin to go, uh, and they begin to rebuild the temple. And it was this celebratory moment. Like, some who had been there had seen Solomon's temple, but most of them had not seen Solomon's temple. So they come back to this big, massive pile of rubble. and But uh, you know what? It's a lot of work. It's going to be a lot of work, but we're still excited. But we're still excited because we get to restore the temple. Our goal is restoration, return to our homeland that God had promised our fathers and return to that, rebuild the temple. So they start, they, man, they get right into it. They start putting down the foundation and, and they build the altar. And there's this celebratory moment that it talks about where they're super, super excited and they're, you know, and they're very excited and uh, they've got the altar there and some people are celebrating because we get to build the temple and some of the people who had seen the old temple are are sad because it's not as grand and as big as Solomon's temple. And it's just a lot of confusion there. And then we have this other group of people who were, uh, they're distant relatives. Um, They were Jews, but they had intermarried and they had taken on other gods and they still kind of, kind of worship Yahweh, but then they had these other things, and they come up to these group of exiles who come in, and they say, hey, listen, we've been here since y'all have left. We've been here the whole time. I'll tell you what, we're going to help you rebuild because we worship the same God, and we have the same goals, and the Israelites in this moment, the leadership says, you know what? We don't have the same goals. We don't. We're not working toward the same thing. No, thank you. We'll do this. We're the ones on a mission. This is our purpose. Well, these people who, again, were very distant relatives who had intermarried, we'd later know them as Samaritans. You think the good Samaritan? You think the Samaritan woman? Like, the Israelites later would consider them half-breeds and this weird hybrid quasi-religion. And uh, uh, we'll get to all that. But there was a lot of a lot of you know bumping heads here. So these Samaritans, like, okay, listen, if they rebuild this temple, we really don't have an excuse, right? So I'll tell you what, we're going to write the new king. Cyrus has died. We're going to write the new king and tell him a little bit about these folks' history. So he says, listen, you've got to understand, these people that were sent back to rebuild this temple, they had powerful kings. They had powerful, powerful military victories, ones that didn't seem like they should be able to win but did. Do you really want to let these guys, you know, rebuild this thing that they look to, this building that they look to for strength and for motivation? Do you really want to do that? And this new king says, no. Stop working on it. Against the decree of the last king, stop working on it. And that's where it lies. And it stays that way for well over a decade we see and again like again paint, paint a picture in your head of you know you've got the foundations you've got the altar and it's been 10 15 20 years and as you walk in you can see some of the old construction equipment. You ever see like, like old construction equipment out in a field and you go, how did that get there? Like, did they just drive it and park it and forget? Like, again, you can see like, you know, the, the old primitive pulley systems and the ropes are rotted and the, the, the wood is rotted and, you know, there's maybe some of the rope, maybe the rubble's still there and maybe there's even some of the tools that are left there. But they've been standing there. And they've been waiting. It's dusty. Those, you know, where they had dug out the areas of the foundations and it was these crisp lines. Well, over the years, as it rains and as the wind comes in, those collapse in. And, you know, you start to get grass on it and it just starts to become kind of stagnant and stale. And along comes this prophet Haggai who walks into this situation and he sees these people who have become lazy, they've become apathetic, and they've just kind of settled into where they were in life. They're just kind of there. Construction's halted. Uh, Yeah, they'd like the temple to be rebuilt, but honestly, they don't really... You know, the Samaritans are still, you know, talking and undercutting and, you know, all these other things, and it's just easier to kind of... Just, you know what, we'll, we'll wait. We'll wait a little bit. And... They came up with this really spiritual excuse. Again, they're in a bad spot at this point. There's drought, there's famine. Um, they're working, but not really getting much places. They, you know, they've worked on their houses. They're continuing to work on the houses, and you know, they kind of adopted this idea of, yeah, we don't like that the temple isn't built, but it is what it is. We are who we are, and come what may. And then this prophet Haggai comes along that. I saw someone describe him as an alarm clock. They said that he was unwelcome but necessary. Yeah. That makes sense. Listen, we need alarm clocks. That doesn't mean you go, man, I'm so grateful for you when it goes off in the morning. But he comes back in and he, he brings this word of the Lord to them. And listen, they, they, they had some reasons to be discouraged. And they, all these reasons were there in the beginning when they first got back. Number one, it's really hard work. Like, it's hard work to build a building today. Imagine it this time building a building with, without our modern equipment and all that. It's hard work. The land had been through 70 years of neglect. There had been some people there, but, you know, where once you had these beautiful fields that had these beautiful crops, it's got grass growing on it, and there's, you know, shrubs and all this, you know, there's abandoning houses, and, man, this used to be a bustling city, and we came back with less people than we had. We don't really have a lot of people to do this, but you know what? They were optimistic. Let's rebuild the temple. So they lay the foundations, they lay the altar, and then the Samaritans send this letter, the king sends this letter, and it cuts them down. Man, okay, we'll stop. And as a result of stopping, they began experiencing drought, they began experiencing famine, they had a lack of financial resources. And we'll see here in a minute that they had this excuse where they're like, you know what, the time has not yet come for us to rebuild the temple. And this is based off a of prophecy. There were, like, there were a few different waves of exiles that came in, and they're like, well, you know, they, they said it would be 70 years after this one, but, you know, maybe it's the third one, so maybe it's, maybe it's the last. So they're trying to push it down the road. It's not yet time. It's fine. It's not yet time for us to rebuild it. Yeah, uh, that sounds really good. Yeah, it's not yet time to do it. And they try to make it sound spiritual. But they weren't satisfied with their life. They weren't okay with where they were. They'd become dissatisfied with it because fulfillment can only come through he who created us. You see, Solomon had built the temple before them, but Solomon had built it before he had built his own house. He'd build the temple. He made, sure, he made sure that he did what the Lord was calling him to do before he took care of himself. Because what we have to see is it's not us who determines success in our lives. You see, the creator is who determines what is successful in the created. God is who determines what is success in our lives. And again, they had built their houses. They had, they had built their houses, which again, it's fine. God wanted them to go back and settle the land. He wanted them to be established. But they had lost sight of the reason they had returned. Their goal was to go back, build the temple. He wanted their priorities Right. So what can we learn from our spiritual ancestors? What can we learn from our spiritual family history? Those exiles who returned and had settled into this lot in life. Again, it's it's really easy to get frustrated with the Israelites in the Old Testament. Again, I always think I think we're going through Exodus in our Bible study right now. I always think about Exodus, you know, as they walk out. God has just done in these incredible moments, these, these plagues and this, this judgment on Egypt and established, I am more powerful than anything there, than any of them. I am more powerful than them. He had established himself, and these Israelites walk out. They plundered Egypt. They walk up and they see a sea and go, oh, God let us out here to die. Okay, God parts the Red Sea. There's this army behind them, God, and they walk across it. Well, the army can still come through, and the sea collapses on them. Man, this incredible moment. They're like, "Well, now we're thirsty." God just let us out here to die. It's really easy to be frustrated with Israelites. It it really, really is. But think about this: like, Israelites did not have the complete Word of God, front to back. They knew about God's redemption, but we know that God's redemption came through his son, his son Jesus, who came and lived with 12 disciples, who lived a perfect life, whose ministry was three years, who was crucified on a cross, uh, was died, buried, rose again three days later, uh, ascended into heaven, and is coming back again. We have the establishment of the church, what Christ's church looked like, that we can read through scripture, and we even have all the way to the end of Revelation of the end times. We have a completed Bible. So it's really easy to look at the Israelites and be frustrated. But then we look at our own lives. And we think, "Why? how do I become bored and apathetic and satisfied with where I am? And, but we can learn from our spiritual ancestors. So there's a problem here. There's a problem here that, that he brings to them, that Haggai brings to them. We're going uh, to talk verses 1 through 6. He says, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month of the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people, not my people, these people. Whew. It's one thing to have identity with God, right? It's one thing for him to say, you are my people, Again, remember, he says this to the Israelites during the Exodus. You are my people. I will be your God and you will be my people. But he says these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your own paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown so much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, and you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, and no one's warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. You see, we cannot experience God's blessings and contentment if we have lost our focus on what He's called us to do. That's the problem. We can't experience God's blessings and contentment if we've lost our focus. You see, the people were doing everything except for what they were supposed to. They were building their own houses. They were gathering materials. They were working. They were doing all these things. Their goal was return to Jerusalem, rebuild the temple. This is your goal. This is your effort. Their task was restoration, but they'd become satisfied with ruin because we've got to remember like, it's not like the temple was you know, 30 miles out in the wilderness. And you know what? Out of sight, out of mind. Let's push this out there. We don't know anything about it. If you, know, if you can't see it, you don't have to deal with it. That's fine. No. They walked by this regularly. They lived around it. They would see the ruins of the temple. And they'd become satisfied. They had allowed a delay beyond their control. The king sang stop to become a delay of their own choosing. You see, because we, we don't read about how they appealed it, how they, how they wrote a, the king a letter, or how they tried to be creative. Again, when, when David wanted to build the temple, God said, no, you can't build the temple. So David said, okay, fine, I'll gather all the materials. Like, we'll be locked and loaded, ready to go. I want to set up the next generation. I want to do everything I can for this. God didn't give me permission to build it, but I'm going to do everything I can to help it along. And what we've got to understand is that a delay in our God-given task is not a closed door. God never called us to an easy life. God never called us to do something simple and never promised that it would be immediate. Just because there's an obstacle, it doesn't mean there isn't work to be done. There's a story about um, Jim Elliott. If you've never read about uh, Jim Elliott, it's this incredible story. He was a martyr um, from ministering to, uh, to tribes in South America. And they, they talk about how he worked at a school while he was raising money to go down there. And while he worked at the school, he ministered to these boys in these schools and he did school programs, he did all these sorts of things. And he had kind of this motto where he said, wherever you are, be all there. Again, Ecuador was the goal. That's where he wanted to go. The tribes there were the goal, all of this. But while he was there, he said, okay, that's not it. It's not time. I'll work here then. These The Israelites had hit an obstacle and they had let it take away all of their motivation despite like knowing how God had removed obstacles in their past. Again, back to family history. Think about their family history. Abraham, you'll be a great nation. God, how's that going to work? I'm real old. My wife is real old. Okay, well, you're forgetting a very important factor in the fact that God is in this. Again, back to Moses, you know, leading the Israelites. God, the, the army's behind us. You brought us out here to die. God, we're hungry. God, we're thirsty All this. And again, God had removed, they had hit all these obstacles and God had removed all these obstacles and their unfaithfulness led to 40 years in the wilderness, wandering around, waiting to go into the promised land. By the way, the same promised land that these Israelites were sitting on at this point. Think about David. Despite Saul's best efforts, God had anointed David as his, as his king. Despite Saul's best efforts, David ascended to the throne. You see, there's obstacles oftentimes and when God calls us to do something. There's often times where we have to hesitate or we have to wait and be patient and, and, and maybe sit, but that doesn't mean there's not work to be done. There's not that doesn't mean that we can't continue to seek the Lord and say, okay, God, maybe this isn't, maybe this isn't for today. What is for today? Again, history doesn't repeat itself. We just make the same mistakes. Okay, God, you know I know you, I know this is what you're calling to me, but fine, I'll wait. But God, what are you calling? Like immediately, right now, what's my what's my task? I know this is the ultimate thing, but what's my task right now? You think about Paul. Paul wanted to go to Rome so bad. He kept getting shipwrecked and thrown in prison. And they, you know, going, they, they chuck him in prison. And he starts talking to the prisoners and, you know, he starts sharing the gospel with them. And the, the guards are like, hey, man, shut up. Please just stop. Stop talking about that. I, well, no, I can't. But listen, I'd love to tell you. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about, uh, well, hey, listen, leaders, we can't get him shut up. We'll bring him before us. Paul, why do you keep doing this? Well, it's pretty simple. Let me tell you about Jesus. Again, there was a delay. Paul, again, it, it seems like, man, Paul just kept getting pulled aside, and he wasn't able to accomplish. No, Paul was accomplishing his mission. Paul was where God had called him to be in that moment, and Paul was doing what God had called him to do. It may not look exactly like we think it should, but I'll tell you, the, the biggest killer of faith is Resignation and we become satisfied where we are. They had become resigned to their circumstances. Well, the king said no, and all these people are talking trash, and we, you know what, we'll just wait. The timing's not right, you know. The biggest killer of faith is resignation. And by the way, Scripture tells us that we will experience hardship. One of the last things Jesus told his disciples, John 16, in this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Not in this world, it's going to be easy breezy. In this world, you'll get everything you want. In this world, all you've got to do is, is ask and it will be. No, no, in this world, you're going to experience tribulation. There are going to be hard times. There's going to be difficulty. There are going to be times when you're tired. There are going to be times when you're exhausted. People will come against you, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In the same way God told the Israelites in Egypt, "Listen, my, you know Pharaoh's strong; I'm stronger. In fact, he is nothing compared to me." God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And here's the thing: the Israelites' inactivity inactivity proved their lack of faith to the God who had brought them there. So God, in this incredible moment, sends them back, and they're just like, "Well, I guess it's over." I guess you know, we'll, we'll wait. You see, when you label hardship or obstacles automatically as a no from God, you know what, man, this is hard. God wouldn't call me to do something this difficult. God wouldn't call me to do this. You know what, it feels, maybe, maybe this isn't it. When you label hardship and obstacles automatically as a no, you reveal your lack of faith in your creator. If if God has called us to something, we immediately say, well, it can't be it because it wasn't easy. We reveal that we don't have the faith that maybe we think we do. I can try to make my excuses spiritual. I can try to make my excuses. I can justify my actions in every possible way. But my excuses do not remove my responsibility from the task God has called me to. But fortunately, God God gives us grace and gives us mercy. We wonder why we don't find satisfaction in our spiritual lives anymore. Um, but I want to ask you this. Why would I base my fulfillment on a God that I don't believe is bigger than my circumstances? Why would I trust that a God, who, it, it, that a God could satisfy my life and lead me to a life of contentment if I don't think he's bigger than what I'm experiencing in that very moment? But due to God's grace, he gives us grace in those moments. Doesn't mean it's easy. But the problem is we can't experience God's blessings and his contentment. But the solution is that contentment comes from fulfilling God's purpose. But here's the thing. It's hard work. It's difficult. Verse 7 through 11. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring the wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little, and when you brought it home, it blew away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies yourself with your own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain and the new wine, the oil, and the ground brings forth. And what the ground brings forth on man and beast and all of their labors. See, the Israelites had, had a task they were focused on, and at the first sign of difficulty, the first sign when it got hard, they turned to their own ambitions immediately. They began focusing on what was important to them. Their idleness, you know, okay, okay, we, we have to stop. Let's just wait for a second. You know, God has sent this, God, you know, we've gotten this letter, let's just stop. Rather than going, okay, what can we do? How can we continue to work? What's next? Oh, you know, I guess I'll go work on my house. Their idleness after hitting an obstacle resulted in selfish pursuits. And here's the thing, it's really easy to see why, because our, we're naturally pretty prideful people, Right? You don't have to tell a toddler to be selfish. Like, naturally, naturally, toddlers will be selfish. That's in our nature. It's inherent within us. Uh, the, the other day, we were riding home, and, and I asked Calvin how his day was. Calvin's my four-year-old, and he said, it was rough, Daddy. So-and-so-and-so-and-so weren't sharing with me. I said, aw. Well, buddy, what happened? He goes, well, I had blocks, and they had blocks, and I wanted all the blocks, This is a teachable moment. Calvin, you're not the good guy. (laughs) You're not the bad. They're not the bad guy. You're the one mistake. And he just went. (sighs) And we can see why, right? Like we worry about ourselves. We worry about ours. We want to get ours done. The temple was for the glory of God and the good of Israel and the benefit of all. But their idleness had made them focus on themselves. They would benefit. It's not like they're doing this thing, building the temple, and then nothing's ever going to happen. No, this was their goal. This was the purpose. Everyone benefits from this. All of them benefit from it. But rather than looking and going, man, I benefit from this, and the community, and, the, and our nation benefits from this. No, they said, okay, well, you know, there's better start building. I want that prime real estate, and I want that good lumber, and I really, really want to have the best chariot, the fastest chariot in the driveway, you know, the one that I, you know, I polish on Saturdays. You know what, man? We, I might as well put a pool in the backyard too. You know, like they had become very concerned with their own standing, with what was important to them, with, with what they wanted, with what others could look at and see belonged to them rather than being concerned with God's purpose in their life. They became selfish with their resources. So when they gathered materials, they gathered it for their own home. Selfish with their time, insisting on working on what they owned on their own thing, and they became selfish with their ambition. How can I better myself? Not how do I give more glory to God? How do I elevate him among the nations? How do I show these, you know, all of these people who surround us, who maybe at once believed in this God and now, now have this crazy, how do I show them that this is the God you follow? This is the God of our fathers. It no longer became about that. You see, God's telling them, stop serving yourself. Where has it gotten you? You work hard, and it's like you're putting all of your resource in a bag, and it's falling out. You know, you're hungry. uh, You're cold. You're all the, like, you've not gotten any satisfaction from what you've been doing. You're not satisfied at all. So serve me. It's not going to be easy. Go up into the hills, get the lumber, come down, and start building the temple. Start building my house, which was what your goal was to begin with. Take your resources, take your time and ambition, and use it for my glory. God was speaking very clearly. Here's the problem. Here's the solution. The problem is you've been stagnant. You've been lazy. You've been apathetic. The solution is to get back to your purpose. When God causes something, there's the the world works really, really hard to sidetrack what God's trying to do. They can't. The world can't. The world's incapable. But the world works really hard to sidetrack God's people. To make it inconvenient. To make it difficult. To to frustrate God's purpose within us. But here's the thing. The more we work, the harder we work, the more we see God's blessing, the more we see God begin to work, the more we begin to see God uh, bless those around us, and the more addictive it becomes. So if you're wondering why we're stagnant in our relationship with God, well, it's because we're not experiencing the joy that God offers. We're not fulfilling our purpose. The result of fulfilling that purpose is faithfulness to his purpose lends Motivation, like I just I don't I don't I don't know what I just feel like I'm kind of settled in my relationship with the Lord. Okay, well, have you been doing what God's called you to do? Have you been growing in your relationship with Him? Not just I read the chapter a day. I do connect twenty. I do an additional by not that, but no. Are you truly reading it and go? Okay, God, what are you calling me to do in this moment? What's my next step, and then doing it? Verse twelve through fifteen. Then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Joshua the son of Jehozadak the high priest with all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet. And as the Lord their God had sent them and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai the messenger of the Lord spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you declares the Lord. So we've gone from those people, these people, to I am with you. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of the remnant of people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. So as they begin to, to consider their ways, as they begin to understand that, man we really have become, we really have become selfish and we really have begun to do what we want to do, God begins to work in them If you would have asked them, by the way, "Are you God's people?" Yes, Of course. Obviously. but we see here, God called them these people. And then as they repented, he said, I am your God. Then they repented and they recommitted. God invigorated them and he says, I am with you. So God sends that encouragement. When we repent, when we recommit to the task at hand, to what God has called us to, we are encouraged. We are built up. And when we repent, God's faithful to forgive, but also to equip us to empower us, to embolden us, to do what he's called us to do. Here's the thing. We have to know that there's something we need to repent of because we all have blind spots. Everyone here, don't raise your hand. Don't point to anybody. Everyone knows somebody who has glaring blind spots, right? You just go, really? How do you not know, right? How do you not understand? Well, problem is that most of us have those blind spots. So what we have to do is we have to begin to pray, Lord, show me where I'm not living up to what you've called me to do. Show me where I'm not doing what you've called me to do, where I'm not fulfilling the purpose that you've placed me on this earth for. Show me, Lord. We have to examine ourselves to do the work that the Lord has for us. And the more we do that, and the more we do the work, and the more we see those results, the more we are compelled to continue. And it's not, it's not the results that drive us it's not the results that, that, are, that are great, although they certainly do help. What it is is we begin to know the Lord more. We begin to experience God more. We begin to, um, to be blessed and to find contentment, not in what the world has to offer, not in the size of our house, not in the size of our bank accounts, not in you know, the influence that we have, but rather in the creator who created us their spirits were stirred up because they considered their ways, they were held accountable and they got back to the task at hand. So if, if you're feeling stagnant, if you're feeling like, again, and maybe you have a similar story to mine to where you, you've gone to church all of your life and you say, man, I've, I've heard every sermon, I've heard every Bible story, I've done all these things, I've read, oh, maybe, maybe that's where you're at and maybe you've just said, you know what, this is just part of my life. This is just part of. This is just what I am. I walk by the broken temple every day. I walk by the ruins every day. But you know what? I'm God's man. I'm God. I'm. 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 I'm doing what I'm supposed to. I don't. I don't. I don't do these things that God tells me not to do. Well, I, I, I understand that, but maybe that complacency that's come within you is the world winning. Maybe all the discouragement that maybe surrounded you at one point you've just settled in and said, "You know what you know what doesn't get you know what doesn't discourage me when people don 't talk to me you know when they don't talk to me when I keep my mouth shut i'll read my, i'll read my chapter a day i 'll go on sunday morning i 'll be fine maybe you're a relatively new Christian, and you know you, you've, you came out strong and as you 're progressing in life and as you know you're going back to work it's it, you're just kind of getting settled and getting comfortable with where you're at and getting comfortable doing what you're doing. But I want you to ask yourself, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Are you satisfied with where you're at? Are you satisfied in your spiritual life? Are you growing the way that you know that God can? Because listen, I think it's so important for us to always remember that if we're not hearing the voice of the Lord, if we're not experiencing growth in our spiritual relationship, that is not God's issue. That's ours. God pursues us. God wants us to come to him. God wants us to come back to him and he wants us to give him glory and he wants us to, to share him and to love him and to experience him. God wants that. But it's our choice on whether or not we take it and whether we do it. So I encourage you, consider your ways. Has God been speaking to you the way that you know He can. Has he been encouraging you? Have you have has God called you to something far beyond your abilities and you've hit maybe an obstacle and gone, you know what, I'll just settle in right here. I'll be fine right here where I am. I'll just wait. It's not it's not God's timing yet. Maybe he's calling you to work. Maybe he's calling you to something else right now. Maybe what he's calling you to is, you know, five years, ten years down the road. Okay, well, what is God calling to you in this moment? What are you called to do in this moment now? Let's pray, Father. We pray for contentment. We pray for um, for clarity, Lord. Um, it is not easy to be patient. It is not. Uh, it doesn't come natural to us. That's why. Uh, that's why the we ask the Holy Spirit to to give us patience. It's not easy to. Um, to maybe give up things that we've always wanted, that we've always dreamed about, um, because that's not your goal for us. But Lord, ultimately, you're our creator and you determine our purpose. God, I pray for each person here. and I pray for myself, Lord. I pray that we consider our ways. God, are we complacent where we're at? Have we resigned to the obstacles before us? Have we settled in? Are we okay with what we're with what we're doing right now? Lord, I think I think most of us would say that that we're not that we can that we we can do more that we can grow closer. And God, those who, feel, those who feel stagnant or maybe feel apathetic, God, I know that, that, that you can do more than that. That is not your hope for people. That's not your want for us. You don't want us to be apathetic. You don't want us to not care. You don't want us to settle in. You don't want us to be uh, comfortable in our place in this world. You don't want us to find comfort and peace in what this world has to offer, God. We can only find that within you. Anything that we pursue, anything that we chase, anything that we try to to make us feel important or to make us feel like um, contentment or fulfillment falls short, God, because all of that is reserved for you. You determine our purpose. You determine what our goals are. You determine what what we're called to do in each and every moment. And God, I pray that I pray that we all think about what, what are we using our time for? What are we using our resources for? What are we using our ambition for? What are we chasing after? What have we resigned ourselves to? And Lord, I pray that if somebody here is, is experiencing that right now, Lord, I pray that we, we take a good, long, hard look at ourselves. Lord, Haggai had a difficult task of, of, of holding them accountable, Lord, of keeping them accountable. Lord, maybe you're calling us to speak into someone else's life. Maybe there's someone that we've been praying for Maybe there's someone that we've been, that, that we that we've seen a change in, that we've seen an apathy in, that we've seen them slow down from 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 where they were. God, maybe maybe we know that person. Lord, I pray that you embolden us. It is not it is not up to us to change them. You change them, but God, you are so generous in letting us be a part of that. God, we're called to do things far beyond our abilities. Because you want us to know that it was you. And Lord, that, that's, that's hard for us to grasp. We're, we, we all want control. We all want to determine what our goal is. But Lord, we know that you're the one who establishes that. Not only do you establish our goal, but you're the only one who can help us reach it. And God, I pray that our goals turn from making money or from, from graduating or for whatever that is. But God, I pray our goals change to knowing you and making you known. To being generous, not because not because of, we want people to look at us, but because God, you are generous with us. Anything that we have that is good, anything that we have that is worth anything, is because of you, Lord. And I pray that we're generous with that. That we accomplish our goals. That we seek out people. We seek out the apathetic. We seek out the broken. We seek out the people who are at their, the end of their rope, and all they want is hope. And you give us hope. You're the only thing that gives us hope. God, help us learn from our spiritual family. Help us learn from our history. Help us learn from our own personal histories, from the things that we've done, from the mistakes we've made, God. Uh, Help us to continue to grow, to give those things over to you. Even those things that we say we well, you know that we downplay in our lives, if God if it's if we are putting more emphasis on it than we are you, then it can't compete with you. We have to get rid of it and God, I pray that we consider our ways. ask these things in your name. Church, I pray that God makes himself more real to you this week than he ever has. I pray that we pursue him desperately, that we chase him desperately. We chase him with everything within us. I pray that, it, that God brings conviction as, as hard as that is to pray. I pray that he, he shows us what our goal is, what our purpose is, why he has us here now, why he has us where we are. I pray that we love well, we love each other well, we love our community well, our enemies well, our neighbors, that we love well as Jesus loves us. We are praying for you, church. We love you. Have a wonderful week. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.